The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Praise the Lord. Let's begin with prayer. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your holy word, and we thank you for your holy presence. We know, Lord, that your presence is here. You are in this place because we are gathered together in your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, and we're hungry for the word of God. We want to know more of you, Lord, and you are your word, and you have exalted your word even above all your name. God, I want to learn of you. I want to know of you. I want to experience you, Lord. As Moses cried, Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. So we are in the book of Genesis. And to sum up our last lesson, we ended with light. And God said, let there be light, and we, if you remember correctly, the sun had not yet been created, the moon and the stars had not yet been created, and uh, so there can be little doubt with what we went through in the scriptures that the light that appeared in Genesis was the light of God himself, and John and the Lord himself declared that Jesus was that light. I want to continue in that vein just for a moment to add a little bit to it. Um, turning to the book of Revelation chapter 21, the apostle John saw a new heaven and a new earth. He saw the new Jerusalem come out of heaven and wrote, starting in verse 23, and the city had no need of the sun. Neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb, Jesus is the Lamb, the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. There's not going to be any night. And John wrote again in the 22nd chapter of Revelation in the 5th verse, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So we see that the final outcome of the plan of God, and believe me, God has a plan. And that plan is being revealed in his book, beginning at the book of Genesis, where we are now. That plan is that there will be no more night, and there will be no need of the sun or of artificial light, but God will be the source of the light, 
and he will be the only source of light that we need. Isn't that beautiful? One day there will be no darkness, and we know that the darkness was never called good, and we know that we are in the kingdom of light, amen, and God is going to banish the darkness so that there is no darkness but only his glorious light, amen. So let us continue in Genesis. We are in chapter 1 and verse 5. The Bible reads, And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. I don't want to spend too much time in this because I will come to it later, but there is something happening here that's very subtle. And the one thing is that God, as we know, is the spiritual light that we're seeing here because there is no sun. And yet he calls the light day and the darkness he called night. He is comparing it, that spiritual event that is happening, to a physical event that is happening. And from this point on throughout the Bible, we begin to see that what is taking place upon the earth has a spiritual correlation to it. And that's why a prophet will give a prophecy about something that is happening right now in his time, will happen in the near future, and then will happen at the end of the ages. Or he will give a prophecy to a particular king, and, and God will be decrying his rebellion. And yet we understand that not only is he talking about this physical king and this physical appearance and this physical uh, uh, particular thing that is happening, but he is talking to the spirit behind it. For instance, the devil. He, he talks to the king of Tyre, and at the same time he begins to talk to Satan himself. And we will see that as we go later on. So there is a subtle uh, change here where God is... Talking about spiritual things that are in correlation to the physical things. And we'll get more into that as we continue in the scriptures. So there was evening, and the word for that in Hebrew is Erev. And morning, or Boker. So if you want to say good morning, you say Boker Tov. If you want to say good evening, you say Erev Tov. Amen. I won't tell you to, how to say it, to have a bad morning, because then you'll probably be telling me to do that every now and then. But there was darkness and there was light. The darkness he called night, the light he called day. Now, I want you to notice this because we are living in the United States of America, and our day begins at midnight, or some would argue 1201. I really haven't figured it out. But it begins at midnight. But as we're reading here in the Bible, the day began in the evening. The evening and the morning, or the Darkness and the light were the first day. And it is still that way today in Israel. A Jewish day begins at sunset and continues until the next sunset. So the Sabbath is on our Saturday. And when you, if you were Jewish, you would begin your Sabbath Friday right around sunset, and you would go all the way till Saturday at sunset, because that's when your Saturday begins. And it is important to know that, especially as we come to the Feast of Israel later on. Uh, but it, it's, it's definitely good to know anyway that God created it that way. The evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament 
in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So this is the atmosphere. Uh, there are three heavens referred to in Scripture. The atmosphere is the first heaven. That's where the birds fly. Uh, the next is where the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets are. And the third is heaven, the dwelling place of God. If you remember, Paul talked about he knew a man who was caught up into the third heaven. And that man was shown many great things. And we see that John was also called up to God into heaven, no doubt, that third heaven, which is the dwelling place of God. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. I remember being a child sitting in class, and they showed us a globe. I remember the teacher she said, would you look at the pieces of the earth? Look at the different continents. And if, if, if you can imagine moving them closer together, don't they seem to fit together very much like a puzzle? And they called that Pangea, which is a time when all of the, the land was connected together as one. Well, that was great that they taught me that, but did you know that the Bible taught it first? You see, because... All of the water was gathered together in one place, and there was one great mass of land. And it was all connected. Isn't that interesting? And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. So this is the law of sowing and reaping, which we will come to when we start getting into the Gospels, that you reap what you sow, and whatsoever you sow, that you shall you also reap. You don't sow thistles and reap wheat, you don't sow apples and reap oranges, but you get what you sow. And that's the law that God put uh, on earth. Amen. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and Years. Notice it said signs. Now, God uses the sun, the moon, and the stars as signs in the heavens. Uh, quoting the prophet Joel, Peter said, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord. That was a sign that he gave. Also, the time of certain feasts or holidays of Israel, which we're going to have a lot of fun in when we get there. Believe me. We want to know the Feast of Israel. It will change your entire outlook on, really, the entire yearly calendar. 
Amen. But they are based on the moon, which we will study in future lessons. And, and the Bible reads, And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven, to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. I like that. Vehachokavim. That's what he said. He made the stars also. Just like that. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. And he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And this begs the question, which we studied in our last Lesson, and by the way, if you have missed our last lesson, we are on YouTube. Just simply ask us for the link. We'll send it to you. If you like the page, then you'll automatically get a notification. But this begs the question that we had in our last lesson. If the sun, moon, and stars were created on the fourth day, then where did the light come from when God said, let there be light? And the answer, of course, is Jesus is that light. He is the light of the world from the beginning. The Bible says twice it says that which was from the beginning, from Genesis. That's what the book means, the beginning. And from the beginning was Jesus, the light of the world. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth and the open firmament of heaven. And God created great wells and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And now we come to verse 26, probably the most important verse for us and for our kind. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The question often rises here, who was God talking to? And this is open to debate. The Jews believe that he was talking to the angels who we know were present at this time. The angels had already been created. And the Bible says that they rejoiced at the foundation of the earth in the book of Job. Amen. And so we know that they existed. Some believe that God was talking to himself. And the Bible does say... That God takes counsel with his own will in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11. Uh, for now, let's continue. I wasn't there. Personally, I think he was talking to the angels. I believe that they were all gathered there to behold the creation of the earth. But I wasn't there. Amen. And neither were you. But if you know, if you know, let me know. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth up on the earth. 
Man was not made to be a gardener, just a gardener. A lot of people think, well, he was just placed in there. God really cared about the garden more than anything, and he made man just to take care of his garden. No, sir. Adam was given dominion over all the earth and every creeping thing and every animal. And you know what I think? Nature itself. Jesus could stand up and calm the storm, and the storm obeyed his voice. I believe Adam could do that too. I believe Adam could say, we need a little rain over here. Why don't the clouds move over here and let it rain? Or we need a little this. Why doesn't this happen? And I actually believe he had control over the elements. He had dominion over the earth, over the animals. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him Male and female created he them. You know, on that subject, there's a lot of drug addicts in the world. And they're putting stuff into their bodies that comes from the earth. It comes from the planet. And it's controlling them. It has dominion over them. God wants us to have dominion over the earth, not the other way around. He doesn't want you to be in control of drugs and narcotics and that type of thing. Amen. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There's something I would like to go into, but I'm not going to yet. But I want to talk about the nature of man and the nature of God. But we're going to come to that a little bit further on. But I want to show that we are in the image of God. We are created in his image. I'm going to give you a, a, just a little breakdown on it, and that is that the Bible bears out that we are triune beings. Now, don't get afraid of that word triune, but we are triune beings. Standing before you right now is a human being. I have a body, and if I did not have a body, you likely would not see me. And if you did see me, you'd probably run the other way. I have a body that is... My image, the image of Ricky Taylor, which none of you have ever seen me. Now, anybody in this room have ever actually seen me? You've only seen the image of me, which I am wearing, the outward appearance of Ricky Taylor. You understand that? Because I am body, I am soul, and I am spirit. Inside my body is contained a spirit. And that spirit communicates with God. He reaches out and he touches God, and God touches him. He doesn't seem to have a mind, will, or, or emotions. In fact, I, I used to be an atheist, and a lot of people know that. And I remember coming to the house of God, and my body was tired. And I didn't really want to be there. But I was in church, and you people started worshiping like you do, and I... I remember looking around at all these crazy people who really believe this stuff. I mean, my goodness, what is wrong with these people? But all of a sudden, and that's, see, that's what I was thinking in my soul. And that is the seat of my mind, my will, and my emotions. My soul was looking at you people, and I was thinking logically... That you were about two cards short of a full deck. Okay? Now that's the truth. 
And, you, and here's the thing, you could never have argued with me. You could have never proved to me that God was real, not with logic. I would have beat you every single time. There's nothing you could have done to turn me away from what I believed. But there was this other part of me, okay, and it was right in here. And it began, while I was stood there, it wanted to worship. And it started reaching out all on its own, and I had to do everything I could to stop it. What are you doing? What is, what is happening? And I remember holding the back of the pew while this thing in me wanted to worship God. And so there was this struggle with the body, which was tired, that didn't want to be there, and the mind, the will, and the emotions that thought you people were crazy and God doesn't exist, and then this spirit that wanted to connect automatically to the spirit of God because I was made to connect with him. And see, that's where God gets us. He gets us in the spirit and everything else follows. That's why if we have the presence of God in the house of God, it doesn't matter who they are or where they come from or what they believe, there's a part of them that doesn't care what they believe. All it wants to do is reach out and touch God. Amen. And that's why backsliders, if they want to stay back, so then they have to stay away from the house of God. Because the moment they come in here, they can't stop it. They can't help it. He begins to reach out. Amen. And God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, it, now, having said that, what do I believe? When you see God, what do you see? And the Bible weighs out that he's Father, he's Son, he's Holy Spirit. I am body, soul, and spirit. If I step to my right, do I step on myself? If I step to my left, do I step on myself? Why? Because I'm one person. I am triune. There are three attributes of Ricky Taylor. And without my body, I'm dead. Without my spirit, I'm dead. Without my soul, I'm catatonic, probably in a comatose ward. So for me to be the person, the one person that I am, I need these three attributes. The Bible has always called God a person. He is one. Yes, there are attributes. There is the Spirit of God, which we know is the Holy Spirit. There is the physical image of God, which is the body of the man Christ Jesus. And then there is the soul of God. And what did Jesus say? I only do what the Father tells me to do. Why? Because the, you could think of the Father in a way as a soul. He's not a man like I am. But he made me in his image. And so there is, a, there is a God who has three different attributes who are all connected as one person, not a trinity. See, the trinity is not even in the Bible. But one God in one person with three attributes, just like I am one person with these three attributes. Amen? Praise God. I really didn't want to get into that tonight, but I did anyway. Amen? So let's move on. Let's hope we make it through this. Amen. Some question whether God actually created the earth in six literal days, and it is my belief that he did. The Bible says God created the earth in six days, and in Hebrew the word is yom, which in this context and every other use of the word with numeric description means a 24-hour period of time.
And some wonder, how can it mean 24 hours if the earth was not yet created? But keep in mind that this was written by Moses. And Moses wrote the account, and he used a word that literally meant a 24-hour period. And also in Exodus chapter 20, uh, the author Moses, when he was referencing um, resting on the seventh day, and when he shared the Ten Commandments, the reason was is because God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. They were six actual days. Someone said, well, how could he have done it in six days? And of course, the answer to that is, why did it take him so long? God could have simply said, be, and it would have been. Amen. That's who we're dealing with here. 28, and God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb-bearing seed which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for Meat. So man was a vegetarian at the beginning. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. So the animals were also vegetarian in the beginning, and nothing hurt anything else. No animals hurt any other animals. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was tov meot, very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. And that brings us to the end of Genesis chapter 1. And Genesis chapter 2 is a retelling of the creation with more detail, especially concerning the creation of mankind. So let's begin with verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Seven I want you to take that number seven, and I want you to implant it into your mind as we read our Bible. You are going to find seven everywhere. And you are going to find seven in the most obvious places, and you're going to find seven in the hidden places. God has an affinity for the number seven. And there are too many examples to enumerate here, but we will highlight them as we go through the Bible and believe me, it will be very exciting to do so. Amen. God loves the number seven. God rested the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Can I tell you that God was not tired? He was not worn out. He didn't need a nap. He didn't need a break. Didn't need to put his feet up. 
it, his work was simply completed. There was no more work to be done. And he looked at all of his work and said, it is very, very good. Amen. Now, how long ago did all this happen? Was it billions of years? I remember sitting in high school science class and watching the little movies. Back then we had to have reels. I'm very old. And they would show, you know, the, the world. And, and there was always a narrator there and saying, 300 million years ago with the dawn of man. We, and I would just kind of take them. Well, these guys must know. They, they're doctors and they're this and they're that. It must have been 300 million years ago. What if I told you that the account that we have in the book of Genesis was approximately, and not yet there, south of 6,000 years ago? What if I told you that? That's hard to believe, right? I know. We've been taught differently by modern-day science, but the biblical account is approximately 6,000 years. We know this by simply adding up the years in the genealogies, something I did as a child. I, I, I don't know why I did it. 13 or 14 years old, I started reading the genealogies in Genesis and doing the math, and it, it, it came up with some surprising results. Adam lived a long time. I mean, he was alive while Enoch was walking with God. He must have been a little jealous, right? But you can go through this account and you can see where we're at today. And the biblical account is approximately 6,000 years. And it's interesting to note that historical records support this. Right now, the current population of Earth is just north of 7 billion people. And that could be Easily generated from just eight people, right, in less than 4,000 years. Well, how many people were on Noah's Ark? There were eight people. 4,000 years ago. Not quite, but almost. And that would lead to a population today of around 7 billion people. That's how many people we have. The oldest living tree in the world is about 4,300 years old. The oldest living coral reef is less than 4,200 years old. And the oldest known historical records are less than 6,000 years. Now, this is very important to understand. Not everybody agrees with this, but I don't see any other way around it. 6,000 years. And it's important to understand because throughout our study of the scriptures, you will begin to see several patterns emerge. And I believe that this is a pattern. Remember that God created the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. God is a God of patterns. I mean, when you begin to understand the patterns in this Bible, you understand he is the greatest watchmaker, the greatest clockmaker that has ever lived. He has planned this with absolute precision and perfection, this plan that he has. And this is a pattern. God created the earth in six days. The seventh day he rested. And 
it is because of this that God instituted the seventh day as a Sabbath. The pattern then is six days of work and one day to end work or a day of rest. I want to read a passage from 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 3. Above all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget. Notice that word deliberately. They, they want to forget. That long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's talking about the great flood. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. This is what Peter says. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. A thousand years is as a day to the Lord. Well, from Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years. From Abraham to Jesus was 2,000 years. Jesus walked on the earth Nearly 2,000 years ago, which means that we are drawing very close to the 7,000th year since creation. And remember that on the seventh day, God rested. To support this view, let me read to you a verse found in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. It's a very obscure verse. Malachi wrote, but unto you that fear my name. Shall the Son, S-U-N, Son, of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. Once again, the word is Son, S-U-N, that ball of fire that we see in the sky. The Son of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. And this is a prophecy of the Messiah according to the writings of ancient rabbis. The word here for wing in the Hebrew is kanaf, and it can mean the wing of a bird, but it can also mean the edge, the corner, or the hem of a garment. They believed, this was the ancient Hebrews in their writings, they wrote many, many things down, the ancient rabbis, they believed the Messiah would arise with healing in the hem of his garment. And they also believed that because the sun, S-U-N, was created on the fourth day of creation, that the Messiah would arise on the fourth day from creation, or the 4,000th year. So they viewed, just like Peter did, they viewed a day, a thousand years, as a day to the Lord. Now, the question is, were they right? Did the Messiah appear on the 4,000th year of creation with healing in the border of his garments? Were they right? Hallelujah. Well, 
Mark wrote in Mark 6:56, And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch if it were but the border of his garment, the hem of his garment. And as many as touched him were made whole. It looks like they were right. And if they were right, and the pattern holds, we are coming upon the seventh day. And on the seventh day, God rested. We all know that there is a 1,000-year rest coming. It is called the Millennial Kingdom. And it's going to happen after our age. What am I saying? If this pattern holds, our age is at an end. Think about that. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful to me because I'm going to heaven. Hallelujah. I'm going to be in that city where the Lamb is the light. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Anybody else feel the Holy Ghost? I'm standing up here just feeling this, the presence of God. Amen. And there's my red mark that says stop at 45 minutes. I still have four minutes. Amen. So let us continue in verse 6. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every planet of the field before it was in the earth and every, every planet, every plant of the field. Okay, there were not planets in the field. That was just me reading on. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. You know how you say ground in Hebrew? Adama. It's also how you say Adam. Adam. Adama. He came from the ground. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So Genesis 2-7 reads, The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. We find God breathing upon Adam. And this is interesting in the scripture. Because in the book of John, chapter 20 and verse 22, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, John wrote, And when he said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. We find God breathing up on Adam, and we find Jesus breathing on his disciples, telling them to receive the Holy Ghost. And this tells us something, doesn't it? Maybe we should talk a little bit more about who Jesus is biblically. Amen. And we went through that a little bit last week. About Jesus being the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. 
Amen. And Hebrews 1.13, speaking of Jesus, calls him the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. This right here is the express image of my person, this body that you see. Okay? If it weren't here, you wouldn't see me. But Jesus is the express image of the person of God. Not persons. Person. Amen. The brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Hebrews 1.3. Colossians 1.15 says of him who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. What does that mean? He's the firstborn. It's a type of rank in the Old Testament. Firstborn is the rank. And you can lose your firstborn status. Reuben lost his firstborn status. Right? Esau lost his firstborn status. It went to his brother, Jacob. It is a rank. He is the firstborn. Amen. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. Are demons visible or invisible? Is the devil visible or invisible? Jesus made them. He made all things visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities, that means angels. It's also who we fight against. We fight against principalities. Against powers, the rulers of darkness of this world. Spiritual wickedness in high places. He made them all. Jesus did. All things were created by him and for him. I can't explain it to you. It's as the Bible says, it's a great mystery. I have an idea of how it works, but I will need to read the whole Bible with you, and then we'll go through all kinds of different things, and then we'll get to debate about how it works. But I can tell you this. Somehow, in some way, it was Jesus who formed Adam from lifeless clay. When he walked with Adam, it was Jesus. When Abraham had lunch with God, it was Jesus. When Jacob wrestled with God, it was Jesus. He is God, was in the beginning with God, and he created all things. And Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's not in the Godhead. He's not just a member in the Godhead. The Godhead is in him. You understand? The spirit of Ricky Taylor is in this body. The, whole, the, 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 uh, the uh, soul of Ricky Taylor is in this body. And Jesus Christ contains all the fullness of the Godhead. And he is the express image of the person of God. Do we understand that? Amen. Amen. So it was Jesus in his pre-incarnate form breathing upon Adam... And we see again Jesus breathing on the disciples saying, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to stop with this sentence. And we're going to continue next week. Hallelujah. I submit to you that Adam was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I will go further and say that it was the infilling of the Holy Spirit that gave Adam life. And it is the Holy Spirit that makes us alive. The day of Pentecost. The spirit of God moved. Amen. They heard a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were, si they were sitting. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's what makes us alive. Amen? Amen. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you're doing and all that you're going to do. I ask that you plant this seed of God into the hearts of your people, that it will grow into fruition, that they might be mighty men and women of God in the last days. I pray with the sword of the Spirit, ready for war and ready for battle in the precious... And the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I